Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me COVID Man 2020. Trying to make it last for the entire year. <laughs> really squeezing it for all it's worth. So here's don't be alarmed um, or or be alarmed. I actually don't know if I can fully tell you not to be alarmed. But uh, a couple days ago, Jessica woke up uh, with a lot of cold slash flu like symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, whatever. We, we kind of socially distanced from each other, which felt very strange. I slept in the guest room just really taking a lot of precautions. And I woke up the very next day, shortness of breath, a headache. I was like, oh my gosh. So booked appointments today. Jessica and I went in, I got the swab. I've been swabbed, mm-hmm. which is actually, it, it is unpleasant, but it's not exactly nightmarish. Like uh, some people on the internet have made it seem um, where they stay. I have a terminally bad uh, gag reflex, and so I have a feeling that would really do me in. You know what? It doesn't trigger anything in the throat, but it does. Uh, okay. It it does kind of. Well, maybe it does, but it's it feels more like a burning almost as they stick it all the way like <laughs> further into your nose than you've ever had anything. But hmm. wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's, so there is. It's it was unpleasant, but uh, I was tested, and now. It's a waiting game. In two to four days, we're going to find out um, if I've got it. And of course, I spent all night reading about how 55% of COVID patients experience some level of brain damage. And I just went down the hole. I've, I've been spiraling. <laughs> so I need, a, I need a playwright episode to pick me back up, lift my spirits. I think we can claim brain damage as a pre-existing condition in this case. <laughs> you son of a <laughs> you know, I, uh, I actually thought about that. Do you, I don't know as you get into your thirties and stuff and it, you begin to just very infrequently, but here and there a little brain fart and you start to wonder, Oh, is that my, am I, is that aging? Is that what's doing that? It does. Do the number of those just increase slowly? Uh, why I think about these things, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I probably could have told you at some point, but I have clean forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I, um, we can say this now to people. And when you say it out loud, it kind of sounds incredible. But somebody said uh, we were doing training, something training at work. And uh, they said, tell us a fun fact about yourself. <laughs> and I said, I thought about it. I said, for the last three years, I've had to come up with an idea for a video game every single week. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and that froze the room. And that's true of you, too. That could be a fun fact about you. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that is that's a good one. Good one to as kind of an maybe not an icebreaker on a date per se, but uh, <laughs> no. I guess well, neither of us are really in that situation. I was going to say that might actually be a date that you want to be on. I don't know about you. Perhaps, yeah, I think it would take a very special type of person for that to be the conversation starter, and to just think like, okay, what is the rest of the evening going to look like? Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Um, anyways. Let's get to some video game ideas. Let's continue that streak and come away with an even more impressive fact about yourself next year. Um, I'll be going first this week. Um, And uh, what I want to ask is, what would a game like Supermarket Sweep look like as a 3D physics action game? Um, So you're kind of shopping in a mall under a timer, and maybe you have to hit specific dollar amounts maybe you're trying to get the the largest amount of money of uh, items in your cart but um, everything is a physics object and so everything has to be actually 
piled in your cart. And so you're thinking about, you know, small items that are worth a lot of money. You know, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you just kind of have to pile it as high as you can and try to carefully kinda navigate it around the mall. But, uh, you know, don't let uh, anything fall out of your cart. Otherwise, that will kind of count against your... Um, your grand total. So let's uh, let's go shopping, and we're gonna start the clock. This reminds me of I think there was like a Nickelodeon game show that ended in this, wasn't there? Possibly. I mean, there is Supermarket Sweep, which is I think on Netflix now. Uh, kind of a similar type of idea. Oh, that does this thing. Okay, because I remember being so like talk about every kid's dream. I think the show literally ended with, okay, you, you're, everybody's going to Toys R Us and you got to fill up mm. with the most exciting, expensive things you can. You get to keep it. And I remember like some people just going to the video game aisle and getting a hundred copies of Zelda because it was reasonably small uh, and reasonably expensive. And we're kind of counting on people heading for the super soakers and the doll houses. Like <laughs> right, exactly. Not things that stack cleanly and are worth $60 a pop. <laughs> That's right. That density. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually they started roping <laughs> off the video game section. Yeah. But, uh, let's do this. How, how do we feel um, the interaction space could be here? Do we want to do a little bit more of a physics-y simulator? Maybe a, maybe a Death Stranding type situation where you have to balance yeah, yeah. your cartwheels or something. I think, yeah, I think physics is a good avenue to take this down. Um, I think the aspect of Death Stranding that kind of isn't as involved as the rest of the simulation is actually loading your body with the um, with the boxes that you're carrying. I mean, obviously you do get a lot of choices, a lot more choices than you reasonably need, especially since the kind of recommendation engine um, that'll kind of auto-equip you in what seems to be a pretty sensible uh, loadout. Um, does a pretty good job of balancing weight to my experience, but uh, um, I was thinking like something like that, uh, uh, the new Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and they showed off in the in some of the demo videos, they had those kind of like rock stacking mini games where you actually have to kind of like, you know, float the, the rock above the stack and really rotate it and move it so that it kind of stacks cleanly on top of the other rocks and place it carefully. So something like something like that that could be done kind of quickly, but at the same time, you know, like still has the, uh, the potential to, to lose big, but uh, isn't too time consuming. What about... I love the idea maybe of somehow losing money by wrecking the store, right? Maybe you're you're all about loading things up in the cart, but bumping into a display or knocking over, you know, a bunch of like freestanding dolls or something or bikes. I, I like the idea of like this break it, you bought it angle. That's a good idea as well, Of uh, especially as you're kind of like trying to navigate your cart through the, uh, through the aisles. Um, I would like also if the things in your cart can break. So you kind of have to be careful with what gets put where. So if you have a, you know, an expensive, uh, you know, record player or something like that, and that's on the bottom and then you put a bunch of, uh, you know, a lawnmower on top of it, then it might, you know, crush it under its weight or something like that, or, you know, mini fridge or something expensive. That's cool. Yeah. And so now you have this mechanic of like, potentially you need to, um, maybe taking things out of your cart and placing them on the ground is much slower than trying to find an empty rack or an empty shelf rather and be able to quickly unload at something that's more like arm height 
Um, so you can quickly in and out and in and out and then swap things around. And I, I would also kind of be, I know we talked about the physics angle, but I would love if this had a feeling of sort of Resident Evil style inventory uh, rotation. There's a game I want to reference in here, and it's one that uh, isn't currently playable in any current platforms, which is really a tragedy. Like It's not like a brilliant game, but it's definitely fun enough and interesting enough to be worth a look. It's a PlayStation 3 game called Trash Panic, which is kind of a Tetris-like, kind of a falling blocks type of game, but instead of blocks, you are filling like a giant trash can with different pieces of garbage, and they can be all sorts of things. Like it, it plays with scale. So sometimes you could be like an office garbage can, very small. Sometimes you can basically be the size of an entire dump and trying to fill this garbage can with like washing machines and motorcycles and teddy bears and stuff like that and postage boxes. And um, it's, it was interesting because, you know, it's, you're like, you're trying to fit as much as you can into this garbage can. And there are ways that you can kind of like, intentionally break the garbage to make it kind of like fill in the little gaps. But if you find things like a mattress or a tire, like you really got to be careful with where they land because uh, they could be taking up a lot of space and leaving a lot of, a lot of uh, empty space and air in a space that could be better used for something that's more kind of dense. Um, And then if you drop heavy things on top of other items, you can use that to kind of break them up. Um, but this is a very clever little puzzle game that uh, unfortunately they've not modernized for uh, future systems, but uh, really worth a look if you ever get a chance. I like the idea too of maybe some sort of, you know, when we're talking about maybe breaking things in the store, why not have an inventory tidiness? So if you have a mechanic where you can put things back on shelves, if you put them kind of in the wrong place, maybe it doesn't... Uh, maybe it doesn't fully uh, free up your inventory space for a while, or maybe it like puts a little, uh, you know, percentage minus or something on your final score. So if you keep putting things back and you're now you're kind of incentivized to load up your card very quickly, just start putting things on there. And then as you find more expensive things in the store and maybe it's all randomly generated, you have to kind of return the, and remember where you get the last thing uh, in order to Mm. get the sort of full credit for, that space. This would be great as, of course, kind of a multiplayer competitive type of thing. It would be great if you could even kind of like ram and attack your opponent's cart to try to get their big pile of goods destabilized. Um, I mean, there could really even be different uh, types of shops that you would be entering, whether it's a, you know, food at the grocery store or, you know, expensive electronics from a radio shack or something more modern. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of possibilities for kind of like reskinning this in interesting ways that would kind of play into the physics as well. I I like the Um, idea. What if um, we did something where like in a, if you set it in a toy store, you could actually use things like nerf weapons and stuff to disrupt your opponents (laughs) and same thing with a grocery store, get into a little food fight. And, but as you, you know, as you waste food, you are also getting that minus from your score, but maybe that's worth it to throw yeah. somebody else off. You use banana peels, of course, in a grocery store. <laughs> Finally. Classic Mario Kart style. Um, I, th- I mean, that's another interesting, uh, it's kind of like setting traps in like a Monster Hunter or Horizon Zero Dawn or something like that, where you can spend some time. Maybe there's a crafting system <laughs> even. Yeah. Oh gosh, that would get kind of... Uh, that would be interesting uh, to, you know, 
spend some time instead of piling things into your cart because, you know, maybe there's more time than you could ever possibly use and uh, you're going to fill up your cart anyways. You might as well use some of that time making some kind of long-term preparations to to benefit you in your uh, your path to victory. What do you think about doing something where in like the starting lineup, like maybe it's almost like a, a race or whatever where everybody gets a cart, but the first thing you do is everybody has to run to the carts and get one off of the like sort of cart wagon and you might end up with a cart with a terrible wheel or something. And the only way to like swap a cart is to find one that's already in the store that you can like just take a couple items out of and you got to like switch everything over. But it's worth it because you get a you can find faster carts and therefore get like a speed bonus. I mean, even if you have to go back to this kind of dispensary where the carts came from originally, that's uh, I mean, it's kind of a it's enough of a slowing yourself down at the beginning of the race by you know, doing a couple laps around a small area to see if there's anything wrong with the balance of your cart. Yeah. <laughs> and then going back and returning it kind of puts you, you know, a little bit behind versus if you were to just kind of, you know, go with the bad cart at the beginning and uh, get that head start, but have to be kind of burdened with something you have to compensate for the entire time. I like the idea too of either uh, when you have to go get a new cart to transfer everything yourself or just quickly tip uh, an associate and the stuff like instantly transfers over and maybe same thing like towards the end you actually have to get to checkout and uh, you can go through the uh, cashier checkout which is uh, steady reliable and pretty quick or you can do the self checkout if you think that you can manually swipe everything not drop anything and uh, and get out with uh, the, the highest number with that all right we're out of time let's uh, let's give it a name I was thinking of uh, to pull in the shopping and racing elements of this uh, shopping and handling. <laughs> that's pretty good. I think that's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are you going to bring us today? So I I love uh, spaceship games. I love Diablo. So I'm kind of pitching Diablo, but spaceships. What I what I'm imagining is not just uh, everybody gets a ship that they're customizing, but rather there are different classes of ships and you team up and party up with other members of small little squadrons or fleets. And I really want to lean into the more naval style combat of Starfleet ships, which is you have directional shields, front, uh, left, right, bottom, top, that sort of stuff. Your weapons can fire in all of those directions and you're really trying to maneuver and flank enemies. Um, so there would be multiple ships, multiple classes, um, and you're running, potentially there's a campaign with uh, several missions, and let's copy Diablo in terms of structure. Just there's a campaign, you can revisit it and rerun it, and there's all sorts of ways to set up challenges and leveling up, and, and we can play with it from there. All right, starting the clock. Obviously, the thing about Diablo that stands out the most is it's kind of looting-based elements yeah. of uh, always kind of equipping better gear. How does that work on a spaceship? Um, you know, there are, like, there's only so much that you can do to a spaceship before it kind of morphs and becomes something different, right? Yeah, well, I'm thinking, like, Diablo also is good about, if you're playing as a witch doctor, they, several months after launch, figured out that maybe we should drop witch doctor gear um, when you're playing as the mm -hmm. witch doctor. So Diablo is kind of in a good space where it drops gear specifically for the thing that you're playing. And I'm thinking that starships, um, in this analogy, they have everything from 
almost completely non-cosmetic upgrades, whether that's phaser bank efficiency or you're, you have more torpedoes you can hold now or something like that, all the way to you know structural changes of like, this is a new type of engine for the ship and it allows a different type of speed or a different type of maneuverability with it. So I think you could either do it as you're physically building up and down the ship, in which case you get that you're always playing the line between maneuverability and durability, if you will, or, or power. But I was also thinking, like, think about all the levels of sort of systems you could build on this, right? So if you had parts were essentially gear for the ship, if you did like a Diablo or Resident Evil style uh, inventory system, that would be kind of fun to be able to hold spare parts and swap them out and that sort of thing. You could do a tech tree for sure. But then I was thinking about what if you could also, in some ship simulator style, do crew assignments to give yourself certain bonuses um, and run missions where you uh, rescue ships that have distress calls out and you could recruit star um, members of those crew to give yourself additional bonuses, that sort of stuff. It'd be interesting if there are ways to kind of account for compatibility between different types of parts. Um, if there are kind of human parts, alien parts, parts from different solar systems or, you know, whatever yeah. it is that you're kind of encountering and, uh, they all kind of draw from different power supplies. And so maybe you can kind of specialize yourself for adaptability on the fly by kind of using a lot of your starting ship, um, resources, putting that towards different types of batteries so that you can really kind of plug and play basically anything that you find on the battlefield or, you know, maybe you kind of, you specialize in one type of battery to get the most bang from your buck for the human parts and just kind of always hope that you run across something. If your parts break, then, you know, maybe you're kind of flying on empty for a little bit, but, uh, when you do get something, it really packs a punch. I like the idea of that's interesting. If you played into the idea of like a, an engine core type or, or a core power type in a ship, uh, and maybe ships can have either one full on or maybe like a small hybrid of two running at any point. Now, like the efficiency in which parts that, first of all, now you can only equip parts that are compatible with the power system that you have running throughout the ship. Mm -hmm. for, for my fellow listeners, I, uh, I welcome you into the world of micro USB and USB-C. Think more of that, like, hey, <laughs> we just don't have the connector to do this. But the, the also the, the sort of tilt of if you go, it, now you're almost classing the ship as opposed to using the body or the type of ship as a class. Now the power implementation on the ship is sort of the ship core class and different sorts of drops, different equipment will gain bonuses from being attached to certain types of power types, or maybe they're only compatible with certain types of power types. And now you're into the land of using the gear um, and these sort of engine cores to, to class up your vessel. And I'd like if this was really kind of plug and play and you could kind of respec on the go just by yeah. changing out the, you know, any part really could be detached and replaced. Yeah, I like the idea, too, of, uh, you know, maybe the, the screen of in some games, you can kind of just change your change your skills on the fly. I like the idea of having to issue orders to your crew and they start <laughs> giving you like time quotes as to how long. 
um, a change will take and how significant the change is. But um, say you're in the middle of combat, if you can make gear swaps to keep your enemy on their toes, because usually these games also lock you out of changing skills when you're in combat. Well, what if they let you, but your crew told you, all right, you're going to have to survive for like two whole minutes during this fight while we change this stuff over. And in, in during that time, you're not going to be able to use any weapons. You're only going to have access to shields or something. Yeah. Interesting. So um, what are ways that we could co-op this as well? That's another part of, of uh, Diablo that uh, stands out. The ways that we can kind of fly together and, and use our individual ship's uh, abilities um, without just kind of copy and pasting what uh, co-op RPGs do. Fly together, die together. Bad boys for life. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, perhaps to like adequately co-op, you have to kind of join your ships together to make kind of a one larger ship rather than flying separately. Oh, like a Megazord sort of model. I like that. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking is the, some of what you see in terms of tactics on say Star Trek, this doesn't necessarily always happen during battle, but Star Trek has a mechanic. I think Star Trek Online even has a mechanic of if you can get a ship to the point where its shields are down, you can beam crew over to that ship to sort of uh, take it over and, and win mm. the fight that way. So you could have on the ground combat of those things. But what I was also thinking is during combat, you have the potential to lose crew as well. So if you're flying with other people, um, potentially you can beam crew members to their ships so that their uh, skill changeovers will go faster or uh, they can additionally boost some system that maybe you know, you're overstaffed on or something because you're just the tank with all these shields and you're kind of on autopilot. And then likewise, uh, if you're dealing with like you have a big bulky ship, I like the idea of having a couple small ships as teammates and they can engage their tractor beam and kind of yank you uh, in a direction so you actually can do some, you know, sort of e-brake like turns in space with the help of uh, a couple of assistants. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, so uh, I guess, are there any kind of story elements that we can introduce here as well? Um, One of the things I do, um, I know there was some game pitched, I think it was even during the, the Xbox or PlayStation showcase last month was... Some game where ever it might be Everspace three or something. They're doing a genre change. They're making it an open world, uh, loot based RPG, which is maybe a little bit adjacent to this. But what I really love about Diablo, and I don't think I think so many other games don't quite get it. Um, Destiny's okay at it, is having really distinct locales and having them have not only interesting aesthetics, but really recognizable landmarks. So, you know, so many space games these days, whether they're generated or what, it's so hard to have the feeling of this is the Horsehead Nebula. This has these characteristics. Maybe there's pockets of gas that are dangerous. Mm. Maybe there's space anomalies you're dealing with, but each of the acts or chapters in this feeling really distinct from each other and really like use all those crazy neon gases in space and crazy planets and stuff and asteroid fields as backdrops. That would be so cool. Would there, uh, yeah, it's, mm, let's see. I think the boss battles would be really exciting as well, especially if we can kind of like, you know, balance out the, the large kind of expected the large ship, 
uh, you know, Star Destroyer type of battles with like, yeah. you know, space dragons and more kind of mythical fantasy types of creatures instead. Yeah, that's really cool. And then, hey, why don't we, for good measure, have uh, in the same way you can run like a rift or a short dungeon in Diablo kind of ad nauseum. <laughs> you could do something where you can do challenges that are like Star Fox on rails shooter levels and uh, use those for quick gear grinding or or leveling something up that's enough time there let's uh let's give it a name <sighs> space the final frontier what are we doing here for names i feel like so many of the terms are generic squad fleet maybe fleet is open so in star trek they have uh quadrants of the galaxy listed as the alpha quadrant the the gamma quadrant stuff like that i wonder if there's quadrant or some cool greek letter the zappa quadrant <laughs> or the omega maybe omega gets involved somewhere the omega quadrant Treasure planet is a good name but that's already taken by a disney film oh i like the idea though of of leaning into the like loot aspect and angle of it treasure planet is there like <laughs> Um, I'll probably regret this because I feel like I pitched a more serious game than this, but Space Booty ain't bad. Space Booty, is kinda, it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than uh, Loot Skywalker, which is the best I can come up with. All right, uh, Space Booty, I think, will join the pantheon of uh, player ride pitches very well. <laughs> Let's hop on over to our community and see what they've submitted for us this week. This comes from Matt Parker, who says... Imagine the Sims cross the thing, cross children of the corn. You start off as a vulnerable parasite alien. <sighs> You're plunked onto an existing household that runs along like a normal Sims house. Your task is to take over the entire house. Once you take hold of a person, you need to keep them behaving normally so they don't raise suspicion. Keep going to school, work, shower yourself, etc., etc. However, you need to be on the lookout for the perfect time to infect another host. Each new person you infect, you need to keep up the impression that you, that they're normal and need to be looking for more hosts. Eventually, you'll take the whole house over, the whole town, city, country, and then the world. Awesome. Start in the clock. This is interesting because it kind of, uh, almost in the way that COVID's spreading, like, your intention is to spread by taking over it's kind of a pod people type of scenario or a <laughs> yeah invasion of the body snatchers and it's uh i think it's interesting because it becomes more difficult to keep up the illusion of being normal the more people you take over because perhaps you have to kind of like switch between them and if you're not controlling them then maybe they just kind of like stand still unmoving or maybe they just loop their current task and that gets suspicious if you do that for too long trust me i know <laughs> um <laughs> i'm gonna cruise right past that um yes what if uh i i think you know how can you not think about the model of the thing here as matt parker outlines and I, I know The Sims must have some... Does it have any kind of beckoning mechanic where you can kind of go into another room and call for a friend to join you or something? Because I'm thinking you're you're going to need to lure people somehow into these vulnerable situations. To a degree, I'd kind of like more if it was more of kind of a crime of opportunity in a way. You know, I think if you are kind of in somebody's house, a family living together, I feel like two members of the house 
must find some, you know, opportunity throughout the day where they're not surrounded by the rest of the members of the house, whether people are at work or whether, you know, it's just kind of two people looking for a snack in the kitchen at the same time. Um, and kind of taking those opportunities and uh, really, you know, risking, you know, maybe it's a very visible thing. This, I, I would, you know, I was thinking of Carry On, which I played recently of maybe this horrible kind of alien has to, you know, shoot its like awful tentacles out of the mouth of one person and into another. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe you have to do it unnoticed by them as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, so kind of limiting visibility, kind of giving you a Sims-like experience, but uh, with um, with limits over what you can see and uh, try to add some kind of a risk to the... Because it is kind of weird in the Sims how you can just kind of click on somebody and then all of a sudden you control them. And then when you click on somebody else, then that person, you know, reassumes you know their consciousness it's a and, mario uh, odyssey level of, of uh yeah exactly <laughs> kind of a uh, mental jump but yeah i'm i'm trying to like i'm, I'm trying to think about would I, I i do like the idea of maybe you have to mechanically like get out of your human skin or you have to expose yourself as a creature um why don't we like i even think just in the same way i pitched a number of weeks ago the sims going to more locations the sims in a you know ridley scott type of sci-fi base um where there's all sorts of crazy sci-fi shit to get into i think is is really cool and so being able to be a monster um and assume people and then i, I like the idea of like that there's a build-up to that Right. Maybe you have to for each person that becomes one of these monsters, you have to, you know, consume or level up in some way or start eating rats or or technology <laughs> or something. And then consuming someone is such an event because now your play space doubles. You have to be simulating yeah. the lives of two people. Right. And keeping both of them out of suspicion before you kind of go and take on even a third. So it's almost like you're almost an age of empires when you have that moment of like, okay, I'm ready for the next era. Uh, and that means a new set of uh, capabilities and challenges that go along with it. I think this would be really fun to kind of set in like a real naturalistic environment as well. Something like a Sims type of neighborhood, because there's a certain kind of horror that, you know, we don't always get to experience that is this kind of creeping terror of like, it could happen to you, you know, in your regular, your regular town, regular house. Um, I think that there are, naturally built checkpoints along the way um as it were you know if you infect everybody in a given household then you can keep the other members of that household inside and for the most part they aren't going to raise suspicion you know because there's nobody who's going to be kind of going in there to check on them so you know in that way you know it it becomes the most difficult when you're kind of venturing out into a new space. But as you take over more and more people within that space, there are fewer and fewer people who are going to turn you in. And it kind of, you know, works towards natural uh, kind of stopping points or just kind of points at which uh, it feels like a, a real page is turned in your favor. I don't know if this is an angle for this as well, but I, <laughs> I signed up for a trial of the ridiculous service shutter 
Have you heard of this? No. This is the uh, only horror streaming service. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, there was a movie on there that I heard was good. And I was like, all right, I'll try it out. So I, I signed up for the seven day trial, of which I'm still in um, over, unfortunately, by the time you're listening to this. But uh, there's a movie called La Llorona, uh, which is mm-hmm. a Spanish language horror movie where the the central conceit is there's a a a general who was accused of genocide and war crimes and stuff and we haven't finished the film yet but it it seems like it's heading in the direction of some sort of horrible event or haunting that is going to carry with him because he gets off too they like the court says oh mm-hmm. no he's fine you know there's some dictator that gets him off or whatever and so i do like the idea of what it really made me say is like, this is a wildly original setting, political upheaval uh, in a uh, in a uh, foreign country, right? Feels like such a different setting for horror. And so, yeah, playing with the setting and having an interesting place to tell this tale. Maybe it is, um, you know, a, a Latin country uh, where <laughs> there's dictators and all this stuff and you can uh, choose to sort of infiltrate you know, their entire cabinet of leaders and really tilt the course of, of a country. So let's, uh, let's go back to kind of mechanics and think about interesting ways to kind of, you know, are there a a lot of the times aliens in movies and and stuff like that have ways of kind of special abilities, whether it's, you know, being able to control electronic devices, having a mouth inside your mouth, Sure. I mean, yeah, whatever you think would be useful. But, uh, what are some other kind of like environmental things that we can do to kind of like either lure people into, yeah, this is a real kind of Hitman vibe I'm getting now all of a sudden. Ooh, a Hitman um, horror game. Into, I guess Hitman kind of already is a horror game, but. It is kind of, there are some ghosts in Hitman as well. So not unprecedented. I like the idea of if you can kind of shed your human skin that Mm -hmm. you're trying to do it almost like the hitman in a place where someone isn't going to stumble upon your empty skin (laughs) uh, and be surprised by you. So you have to be very sort of uh, surgical of like, all right, I'm going to go shed my skin in the bushes outside. But as the alien, if you do the carry on style thing, maybe you get the ability to travel through vents or maybe even drains or something and uh you know suddenly a new level of navigation in the space is accessible to you that's a good idea yeah having more navigation options Uh, again i mean playing playing carry on very recently it was a lot of fun uh that one is you know you are a horrible grotesque monster but uh there is kind of equal levels of uh stealth and aggression that your kind of monstrous form allows you um you're very almost kind of liquid like where you can fit into openings of uh, all different kind of shapes and sizes being able to kind of squish through things that people wouldn't and crawl through the vents near silently while you're kind of like stalking your prey beneath you um at the same time busting down a door and sending your tentacles to go and take a human and then digesting them in your giant tooth and mouth was uh, really um really exciting as well <laughs> i i can see similar levels of uh, engagement here yeah and i i do like the idea too of if you if you can set it in a setting where 
multiple characters that you were potentially um, trying to absorb, kill, eat, whatever, are more empowered, right? Like in the same way that um, the first you first time you run into a character with like a flamethrower and carry on, you actually have to go, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this is <laughs> this this person's serious. Like imagine if you uh, if someone finds you bleeding green blood or something or or acid blood, even better, why not? that can also get you caught. So you're trying to keep these people like all relatively safe as well. And eventually you're going to control so many people that I love the idea of the, the horror movie trope of kind of everyone in the room is a monster except for one person. And then that person Mm -hmm. realizing that they all come out of their skin. (laughs) But the Uh, more people you take over, maybe that's the harder it is to level up, right? Because all of you only get like a piece of the person or something. Uh, Let's, let's close it down. Let's give it a name. What about this? this? This is probably already a horror movie, but I just like the sound of the word feast. Feast, feast. See, it, it feels like there should be some sort of a word preceding that, like human feast or <laughs> uh, community feast. But I could uh, see it like uh, like in a distressed, grungy, bloody font to <laughs> just the word feast put on a poster and people are like, oh, I get it. Okay, that seems like a fun kind of like a mid nineties, like inspired by doom, those that the wave of games that came around. <laughs> if you want to do like a nineties VHS cover, we could do like a birthday cake with like human fingers as the candles do. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. That will do it. Uh, that came from Matt Parker. If you would like to submit a pitch of your own, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can tweet us at playwrightcast or you can go to playwrightcast at gmail.com and email us there. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And while you're listening to things, go check out the other great shows on the pl- on the, the Play- Playwright Network. That's right, on the Playwright Network. On the Might K- as well be at this point. That's what <laughs> yeah. people really come here for. I know. We're, uh, it's, uh, you know. We don't like to acknowledge it, but we are quite popular. Go listen to Canon Rinse. Go listen to Sound of Play. Go listen to Sausage Factory. You're probably already doing all three at this point, but it's, it's worth repeating. We're going to take you out of the show today with a redacted game, as we do. And uh, I think uh, after last week, I think we need to get back in the swing of uh, uh, perhaps upping the challenge a little bit. So <laughs> I've got one that, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I'm, I still think you can get this one, and uh, it might not even be, not, might not even be a lot, of, a lot of guessing, but we'll see. All right, redacted game. The game that incorporates RPG, redacted, adventure, and redacted genres into a chaotic blend of real-world conspiracies, cliffhangers, and plot twists. A richly simulated world of unparalleled interactivity engineered to react redacted to your very action. To your every action, rather. The decisions and consequences are yours. The the mixing it with reality stuff is interesting. I'm trying to think of games now that have a quote real world setting. This is not a real world setting, but the, it very much is about blending things and immersion. So my first guess is Half Life Alex. Nope not not Half Life Alex, but uh, not a bad guess. Um, I might need some accolades for this game. Okay. Um... I'm going to just give you some awards and rankings. I'm going to exclude year for now, and I'm going to include the platform. 
um, noting that the way the Metacritic works, they have separate rating pages for each platform. So if it's a multi-platform game, I'm just reading one of them. Got it. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean it's an exclusive for this platform. But, uh, well, let's see. Do you want the years with that? Or would um, it be kind of useless without? Okay, yeah, then give me the years as well. Okay. I'll give you rankings and the year. It is the number seven best PC game of 2000. The number two most discussed PC game of 2000 and the number four most shared PC game of 2000. Okay. Now we're in PC land. We're in real-ish life. Read me the part where it's blending the genres again. The game that incorporates RPG, redacted, adventure, and redacted genres into a chaotic blend of real-world conspiracies, cliffhangers, and plot twists. (sighs) Real-world conspiracies. Is this... Oh, I was going to say Quantum Break, but that's an, that's really an Xbox game, and I, I don't think that would be PC. It's also uh, significantly after 2000. Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. I forgot. To, thank you for reminding me. 2000. Okay. <laughs> so this is right before the Xbox real world action. Is this um, Max Payne? No, but you are in the right wheelhouse generally speaking okay okay <laughs> i know that's in new york that's uh that's um i think wait a minute maybe that is new york i thought it was new york okay i also have um i've got meta scores user scores and i can read some uh 10 review and a zero review from users as well whatever you would like <laughs> let's do the reviews because i think that's the last aspect of drama that we need to to complete this <laughs> All right, I'm going to, in real time, redact this one. Just a second. Let me give it a quick read through. This is a real-time redaction, folks. This is scary. So I have a zero review and a 10 review. Let's start with a zero review. This is a, a user from Metacritic who really did not like this game, who says, Horrible, full of bugs, video errors, glitches, and graphic nightmares. This is the most overrated game ever. You watch the intro, and it plays x3 the normal speed you adjust it to play normal and it runs x3 too slow you either run too fast or too slow that it is impossible to spend or play any time past the first minutes of the game redacted's number one game that sucks avoid this at every cost of your life Mm. don't even don't even look at it don't even look at an ad for it nothing And then a 10 review says, well, what can I say? This has got to be my all-time favorite game. I've played many classics, Doom, Quake, Half-Life. However, what struck me about this game was was the storyline. Okay, so Half-Life has a pretty great storyline, and many people agree, Uh but I have to say that Redacted is much better. It's the first time that it's so immersive and compelling. I also love the way in which the player is able to control the outcome of the game, There are so many things to do, like play in pool or swimming around the redacted. If I was to talk about all the amazing things in the game, I'd be here forever. Basically, to sum it up, it's got a great storyline, brilliant characters, and an array of gameplay methods. I have have gave it a 10, but I'd go beyond that. Redacted is just a great game, pure and simple. Gosh, that's glowing. I don't think this is real world in any way 
but you saying Max Payne is a little bit in the wheelhouse, I might be thinking of generic y generic sort of white dude protagonist. And I'm going to say, <laughs> what if we get into Deus Ex? That is the one. That's no it. kidding. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> it's got RPG. It's got... When, when that player said uh, gameplay styles or something like that, mm-hmm. but I didn't know you could swim in a pool. I never played Deus Ex. Well, you can swim around the Statue of Liberty on uh, Liberty Island. Oh, yeah. I've... I've only I haven't played the original. I've only played sequels to Deus Ex. Isn't that funny? It's it's worth looking into. the The full Metacritic description reads: the game that incorporates RPG, action, adventure, and first person shooter genres into a chaotic blend of real world conspiracies, cliffhangers, and plot twists. A richly simulated world of unparalleled interactivity, engineered to react logically to your every action. The decisions and consequences are yours. Yeah, the decisions and consequences. That's really good. That's really good. It has a 90 Metascore and a 9.2 User Score. And it is a Metacritic must-play. Wow, I, I guess I gotta try I mean, like, it's no wonder, right? When you go and watch, um, for example, we talked about horror movies this, uh, this episode... Uh, Paranormal Activity 7 mm-hmm. or Saw 13 or all the Nightmare on Elm Street 22. You you watch these and they're like, they're so laughably bad. But when you really go back to that first film in many of those cases, there's something really special to be seen there. So yeah. no surprise. I've, I've found like the sequels to Deus Ex like kind of cool, but it, it seems like this is the the source material that I really need to check out. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit difficult to go back to these days. It's a it's pretty involved and uh, a little clunky. Uh, but, emulator um, city and that sort of some, thing. Uh, I mean, you can play on modern PCs just fine, and uh, you'd you'd probably have a real easy time booting it up, and it's probably not too expensive either. But at least that first level, it, it's one of those games where they call it an interactive sim. It's uh, it's or immersive sim rather. Um, it's you know, there's crazy ways that people have you know found to kind of circumvent a lot of the challenges in the game like um you know attaching mines to a wall and then using those as steps to get to somewhere you're not supposed to be um and the the game really allows you to do quite a few things to try to uh, get through its otherwise action-oriented levels that's really cool yeah i remember so distinctly that you know purpley blue box art yeah. of him looking up into the sky it's just so especially for pc games that was all over that was back in the day when you could go into a comp usa and see it on the shelf well that's the show for us today um thanks again for listening we'll catch you next week bye, bye.